Acts chapter 17. So we are reading from Acts chapter 17, starting from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, where we read, Now Paul was waiting for them at Athens. His spirit was provoked within him, and he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplaces every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Eucurians and Stoic philosophers were also conversing with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who live there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very, very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this ascription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gave to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined, uh, determined a lot of periods that the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in hope that they might feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own prophets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of men. The times of ignorance um, the time of, of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom there was Dionysus and an Aragite, and a woman named Demarius and others with them. So far God's word. We're going to be looking at Lord's Day 10 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 10 has two questions with regard to God's providence. You'll recall this ties in with 
uh, Lord's Day 9, where we looked at God's eternal counsel and providence by which he upholds heaven and earth and everything in them. And ask, first of all, what do you understand by the providence of God? So what is providence? What is the providence of God? What does it mean that, that he cares for this world? And it says, providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, by which he upholds, as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures. And so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but from his fatherly hand. And then question and answer 28, how does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from his love. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this afternoon. Our Heavenly Father, we again return thanks to you for your word. We're thankful for the word of Paul on the Areopagus and how he related to us who you are as the Father and how you care for all things. And this gives us a way to interact with the world and to make known to them the truth of your word. We pray that you would guide us in our understanding of your care this afternoon, that we may be refreshed, encouraged, strengthened, and challenged to walk according to this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no denying the fact that we live in a very technical world and a technological world, that our day and age is a technological age. And, and there's still no boundaries yet to the way technology is developing and the effect that it will have in our lives. It seems to us and is suggested to us that technology and the endeavors of man and his insight is able to resolve many of the struggles that are experienced in this world. Technology isn't something to be afraid of, something to ignore, but it is to be recognized. It can be both a blessing, and indeed we have been blessed by vast developments of technology, but it can also be a curse. A curse. It can take control of our lives. Isn't it interesting that so often the endeavors of man, when they're, they're severed from a right relationship with God, the thing that is designed to be our servant, to assist us, to serve us, to direct us, so frequently becomes the master. It takes control. It takes hold. And we don't know how we can live without it. And yet we need to recognize that this is true of all of life and in every age. That is not a, a new reality that, that we've come to recognize. We're confronted with the effects of life, the effects of technology, the effects of, of everything and how it's all tremendously 
interconnected. And the last few years, particularly the last year with, with regard to uh, the COVID virus and, and how it's affected the, the whole world reminds us of how interconnected life really is. This is sometimes referred to as the butterfly effect. Uh, it, it suggested, there was a mathematician, I believe, who suggested that the way the world is interconnected, that, that when the butterfly flaps its wing in Brazil, there's a thunderstorm in Texas. And it, it, he was getting at, and sadly it's been misused today, that's not what he was getting at, that this world is so connected that when there's a, a, a sneeze in China, that the whole world goes into lockdown. Uh, but he was getting at the fact that, no, actually, there's so many random events, we can't trace out all the interconnections. But what's interesting is, in pop culture, this butterfly effect is suggested as something that we are learning more and more about. That this, what is called the butterfly effect, is suggesting that one random event somewhere in the world can change the entire universe. What do we do with that? How do we know where the butterfly is going to flap its wings and cause a great tsunami to affect some other part of the world? Life seems complicated, doesn't it? Warnings of climate change, overpopulation, resource consumption, and species extinction. Life is complicated. Who knows? And the debates are out there and, and we hear the discussions. Are, are electric cars better than petrol or diesel cars? Well, what about the long-term carbon footprints? And we have questions and they go on and on and on. And we approach this complexity this afternoon with this one question. Who cares? Who cares? This question can be answered in several ways. You might hear different things when you ask that question. You might hear me asking that as a skeptic, as a cynic, with a shrug of the shoulders and say, really, who cares? Who cares whether a butterfly flaps its wing in Brazil and there's a thunderstorm in Texas? Who cares? That's great. It's good to hear that you care. And it's good to hear that you're listening. We should care, shouldn't we? And there's a lot of people who do care. And particularly trying to find all the interconnections. And there's the reality of the scientists. Who, who suggests, well, well, when we hear that these things are going on, let's not re reply like skeptics and just step back and say, who cares? Let's, let's study this. Let's learn about this. Let's investigate this. Let's calculate and predict and recognize the effects that humans are having and counter that, counter that with a self-conscious awareness, with, with a, an awareness of how we as man, are destroying the planet. Is that how we're to care? Because we are called to be stewards. And yet this afternoon, this afternoon as we listen to God's word, 
As we consider what Paul is teaching here on Areopagus, this place where, where there were philosophers who would engage themselves all day long in this discussion of how things are connected in the world and what connections there are, he brings us to see, God's word brings us to see, this splendid confession that we have of God's providence. That there is a God who made all things, the world and everything in it. He is Lord of heaven and earth, but he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Paul is saying, you need to know this God. You need to know the Father. And that's what we're considering this afternoon. Who cares? The Father cares. And providence is about the Father's power, that first of all. Secondly, the Father's purpose. And thirdly, the Father's presence. So those three Ps, power, purpose, and presence. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God, the Catechism reminds us. It's the power by which he upholds as with his hand. Think of this confession of providence as a, as a stone on the end of a string swinging around in orbit. And it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of power to get that stone off the ground and swinging in the air, swinging over one's head. And as we swing that string around with a stone at the end, it takes less and less energy to keep it in motion. And, and eventually we can, we can just keep it going with just a little bit of motion. But we need to recognize for as long as we keep it going, there needs to be a fixed point around which that stone spins. What is that fixed point? I think historically that fixed point has, has been something that, that has been attacked and undermined by, by different ideas and ideals in the world. Just thinking back over the last couple of centuries with the Industrial Revolution, the industry became the central point. And you had this Industrial Revolution where man became very productive in producing commodities for the world to be using. And yet World War I and World War II says that endless production of commodities can be very destructive. I think following this, we see the economy, that the economy becomes very productive and our manipulation and maneuvering of the economy can be very good for the well-being of man. And I think what we're running into in the, the crisis of, of big corporations is showing us the fact that manipulation of the economy is not the center around which the world spins. And we're moving today toward the environment. The environment needs to be the fixed point around which we guide and direct our decisions. But what is that fixed point that keeps the stone spinning? The problem with all of these solutions, which actually become our undoing, is the fact that we put man and man's control and man's ability at the center. He's the one who by his endeavor is able to maintain the swinging of the stone on the string. But now we're coming to different conclusions. And you'll hear these today. Maybe it's not the industry, economy, or the environment. Maybe it's Mother Earth. That the Earth is just responsible for maintaining itself. And if mankind gets in the way of that, it will be undone. 
Or there's special spiritual feelings of love or harmony or unity, whatever it might be. And these are profoundly religious questions. But we need to recognize that the reason there is structure, the reason there is order, purpose, meaning, patterns in creation is because of the Father. The Father who holds the string as the stone swings. The Father who has all things completely in his hand. He upholds them. Heaven and earth and all creatures. But he also directs them. He directs them profoundly and so rules them. Now consider this. Not only is he sustaining uh, the, the, the stone in its motion, but he, he has a purpose. He has a design for that. Leaf and blade. Cell structure. The development of biology. The examination of, of how leaves and, and grass grows has been designed by him. Rain and drought Weather and climate control is under his direction. Fruitful and lean years, productivity, and also loss of productivity. Fruitful and lean years. Food and drink, nutrition, health and sickness, well-being and illness. Prosperity and poverty. You hear how comprehensive the care of the Father is. It touches on everything of our existence. The string of our existence is attached to the Father's hand. And no matter what happens in this world, whether it's leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us. Not by chance. You see, the world isn't wrong in talking about the butterfly effect. Because indeed, they, everything in this world is interconnected. But not to man. But to the Father's hand. That's the Father's power by which he upholds this world in his providence. But then we also need to recognize, secondly, secondly, the Father's purpose. What is his design? What is his goal? And that is for him to accomplish his will. So profound is this purpose that the Catechism reminds us, all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. I think this is one of the most astounding realities of providence that we need to grapple with. Without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. Now, now, that's not talking about God's revealed will. It's talking about his decreed will. That he is so in control of everything that happens in this world. Think of this, how it's unfolded in Scripture. A lion, a carnivorous animal, after it's been starved for a number of days, as they were intentionally done in Darius's day, when it sees meat, its design, its natural instinct is to pounce and kill and slaughter. But those lions that which were in the den when Daniel was thrown in there were so completely in the Father's hand that when Daniel is dropped into the den, they don't touch him at all. 
phenomenal reality. Oh, something has gone wrong with the lions. Oh, not at all, because when Daniel's attackers were dropped into the den, they did exactly as the Lord intended. And the Lord designed. They devoured them before they even touched the ground. How can that be? Because those animals were so completely in the Father's hand. Yes, but what about man and his free will? Isn't he able to change and isn't he able to redirect? You think of Cyrus. Cyrus, the man who was appointed by God and called by him as his servant, as his minister, as his anointed one to, to do the Father's will. What did Cyrus do? He set the Israels free so that they could go back to the promised land. And God decreed that in Isaiah long before, 70 years before uh, Israel went into exile. Oh, did Cyrus know he was serving the Father? Not in the least. He was doing what he intended. He was a, a, a vicious, uh, controlling emperor. And yet when when he saw what he wanted, he desired to let God's people go, to return them to the promised land. How was it that he came up with that idea? Because God was so orchestrating everything that was happening in the world that by his providence, he would send his people back to Israel by the hand of an unbelieving emperor who would ultimately do the Father's purpose. And this is what Paul uses in his sermon, the God who made this world and everything. He's not served by human hands as though he needs anything. He doesn't need us to accomplish his purpose. He may use us to accomplish his purpose, but he doesn't need us. Instead, he gives to all mankind life and breath and everything in it. You see, it's not the butterfly effect. It's the father effect of providence. And when we understand this purpose, God's design in this purpose is to cause us, as Paul says in verse 27 most beautifully, why does the father do this? So that we should seek him. He is helping us to seek him and to know him. But also to understand the Father's effect. And this is for us too. Because you know not everything positive happens. There's rain to water the crops. There's also drought to scorch them. To cause us to go hungry. There's fruitful years and there's lean years. There's health and there's also sickness. There's prosperity. And there's also poverty. Why do we have these fluctuations in the flow of the stone? Because the Father's purpose is for us to seek Him. And for us to know Him. And for us to trust Him. The Catechism encourages us, how does this knowledge of God's providence help us? We can be patient. Patient when things go against us, and they will go against us. We've talked about that earlier last, last week, uh, that whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world, he will turn to my good. Patience 
in times of sickness, in times of drought, in lean years, in times of poverty, to seek the Father's purpose, to grow in patience. But what about when things go well? Are we to feel guilty? Nowhere to be thankful. Thankful when things go well. Grateful that the Lord has blessed us and provided for us in this way. And for the future, have all confidence. Not fear. Not afraid. Not that our Father is stingy. It's what we've sung out in uh, number 183. His goodness. His goodness. You have a Father who is good. And He will lead you home. He will help you to see that it is His hand who pulls the string. What a blessing. And one of the significant purposes is that this moves us to study the Father's world. Yes, to engage in education, to learn about the world, not to put our head in a hole, not to live as if we don't care, but to be diligent in understanding and studying the Father's world, to reflect on His power, to see His hand upholding and directing everything, so that we can serve as his stewards. We must study the world not to sever our relationship with the world. How often we respond to the outrageous claims of science with skepticism. Global change or, or climate change, not, not, no longer called global warming, it's climate change. Who cares? Overpopulation? Who cares? We can be almost fatalistic in our understanding of the Father's care for this world. We should care. Let us not grow calloused and indifferent. But let us study. Let us learn. Let us see. Not because science has the answers, but because we know the order, the structure, the design, the purpose, the power is in the Father's hand. A steward to care for the world because it belongs to the Father. And in this, thirdly, to serve the Father's presence. The presence of His hand. To sing, this is my Father's world. Help me to see, to hear, in the rustling grass I hear Him pass. This is some mystical new age God is part of this world. God is this world. No, that's not the reality. But everything around us, everything in this world, depicts the reality of his care, of his control, of his power, and of his purpose. And that he is present in this world. It's a call for adoration, gratitude, Patience and confidence in every place where we come in contact with the Father's hand. In the field, the orchard, the vineyards, the gardens. To see the Father's hand. In the forecast and the weather patterns. In the diary and our use of time. In the bank account and our use of of money and resources. In the home, in our care for the family, and the confidence we can have for God's way of living. In the hospital, and the doctor's office, or maybe the absence from it, 
that we've been so blessed that we haven't needed to see the doctor. To see this as the Father's hand. And at the day's end, whether it's a life of success or a life of failure, these are all present, not by chance, not by science, not by technology, but because of the presence of the Father's hand. And tomorrow, tomorrow, nothing will separate us. Nothing. All creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they can neither move nor be moved. And he has promised, take him at his word, nothing will separate us from his love. Because he cares. That's who. That's who cares. Amen. Oh,